0: Hello, this is Mike Curry from Montelli Nursery, and I was working on green roofs before anyone knew what a green roof was. You're listening to Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in three, two, one.
1: You know, if you've got a green thumb, and by the way, if you do, I know a specialist, <laughs> you'll uh, really marvel at how simple a tool this is, and it can really save you hours of back-breaking work. Let's see. I'm about uh, 100 yards off the green here. I'll try a five weasel. No more weeding on your hands and knees. You just gently glide your weasel. And by the way, it's been years since I've said that. You just glide the weasel in between your, let's say, plants. Look, Ma, I'm making valuable mulch. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Hoffa. <laughs> get Jimmy Hoffa.
2: It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611.
1: Good planets are hard to
3: find, temperate zones and tropic climes, and true currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine, will. Good planets are hard to find
2: Are in the main. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect there. And here they are Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak.
1: Good planets are in the main. Right. What a jerk.
4: Ah, uh, uh, who? What?
5: He got it there. <laughs> oh. We love you, Andrew. You're the best. You got it. This week, he was there with the uh, prod cop. Give him a ding. And uh, and what's amazing about Andrew? Uh, our there's
4: a our, lot of things amazing. Our
5: engineer. And uh, on other shows, he's a producer, but we have a producer. We got Ellie here in the control room. We will give her a ding. But Andrew is the engineer. And I was talking to him today and asking him about his capabilities. Here's what he told me.
6: I have an ultimate storage capacity of 800 quadrillion bits. My total linear computational speed has been rated at 60 trillion operations per second. (laughs)
5: That's awesome. Uh, I didn't know you were that good you you really are <laughs> try my best uh, i know you do let's 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 give a shout out to uh andrew Marshall, our uh, our engineer here and to ellie because uh this doesn't happen without them behind the scenes and uh you know even even when things get crazy and he's waving two minutes at me right now see and that's what he does and he's wearing uh, are you wearing a tie there no yes i'm not wearing a tie you're this not wearing a lanyard. tie this
1: is oh. this lanyard with my keys that's on
5: his it. Key. oh that's his lanyard <laughs>
1: Yeah, that I'd works lose too. Them if I don't,
5: you could you could just button the collar. That works as no, a tie. Put
3: it underneath. Yeah, yeah. A good there you there go. There you
5: go. I've been known to do that. And sometimes you want to be really cool. Sure. You 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 tie your tie and you pull it up tight and then tuck it into your first button of your shirt so it's just peeking
4: out there. That's oh, so it doesn't go in the soup.
5: Exactly. Well, I my face goes in the soup at, at certain times of the day. Just. <laughs> down into the soup hey welcome to the mike novak show with peggy malecki oh my goodness we're going all over the country today uh, uh we start in north carolina with pat stone from green prince man you're gonna like that uh it's a publication that is about the heart and soul of gardening pat hasn't been on the show in forever so it's time to 2011 do- you would do the research, wouldn't you? You just go back. You just don't let me miss a trick here, do you? 2011? I was 12 years old in 2011. I, I'll have you know. Uh, so we, we'll talk. And, you know, at this time of year, you might want to order some green prints uh, uh, because it's the holidays mm-hmm. are coming up and all that. Uh, after that, Dr. Robert Colson from Texas A&M about a fascinating study about monarch butterflies in Texas and hotspots along the highways where monarchs get wiped out during their migration. We're going to talk about how they can mitigate that. Really cool stuff. Stick around. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki.
4: That's not just a tree in your yard. It's an investment. It's a windbreak. It's a natural work of art. It's part of the family which is why you want Bartlett tree experts to care for your trees. Now is a great time to go to Bartlett.com and see what they can do for you. Did you know that winter is a prime time to have your trees pruned? One of the reasons is that without leaves, the structure of the tree is easier to evaluate. Also, it's a great time to inspect your trees for any visibly hazardous conditions or structural issues. It's also easier now to work around a garden when the ground is frozen. Even during the growing season, Bartlett utilizes the most effective and environmentally sensitive methods to control tree pests, such as beneficial insects, to manage the bad insects. And did we mention that Bartlett is the industry leader in safety? Whether it's a small residential project or a major commercial renovation, contact an Arborist representative at Bartlett and get a free estimate because every tree needs a champion. Go to (laughs) Bartlett.com. City Grange, Chicago's newest and most unique garden center, wants to remove all barriers to your gardening success. How? By providing organic heirloom plants for your kitchen garden, pollinator-friendly natives and annuals, container planting to go. They deliver the plants, you put them in. Who does that? Classes for adults and kids, special events, and more. They even have complimentary valet parking on weekends. 5500 Northwestern Avenue at Catalpa. Citygrange.com. Learn, shop, blossom.
5: And now for something completely different for the season, the Frozen Robins.
1: Oh, holy night, late December back in 1 B.C., t'was the night of the nativity. What a baby, what a night.
5: Talented, funny, unique, the Frozen Robins are Chicago's number one caroling group. Exquisite harmonies, madcap improvisation, holiday sketches and characters, even a 10-minute version of It's a Wonderful Life. They are definitely not your mother's carolers. Go to frozenrobins.com or contact me, Mike at mikenovak.net because I'm not just a fan of the Frozen Robins, I are one.
7: Yeah.
1: I'm a lonely little petunia in an onion patch, an onion patch, an onion patch. I'm a lonely little petunia in an onion patch, and all I do is cry all day.
5: See, I've got my 78 uh, player out here. <laughs> you know, back when I worked at Gargantua Radio Here's down the so dial, it
1: takes my back away. in the
5: day, We still had 78s that we played. It was nuts. Uh, And this is done in honor of our guest, Pat Stone, and I hope you can hear... Can you hear this, Pat? Did you hear that?
8: I'm still laughing to know that I'm you're
5: honoring an onion for me. I'm very grateful. Hawaii, Hawaii, Hawaii. You know, the people... I'm doing good. Ah, good, good, good. Uh, and folks uh, who don't know, that is uh, that was Arthur Godfrey singing the Petunia song, Lonely Little Petunia in an Onion Patch. And that's kind of you. Isn't that sort of your theme song, Pat Stone?
8: Oh, I... Yeah, sure. No, no, no. I'm, kind of, I'm kind of an oddball in the gardening world. I will definitely admit that. But, but I'm, but I'm pretty just the same, okay. <laughs> like a, sky, a nice blossom, a pungent blossom, okay. A beautiful purple pungent
5: blossom. Oh, yes, oh, you oh, are. Oh. You got to be. You got to be wary of those purple blossoms because they can sometimes uh, hit you in the nose, uh, folks. You. Oh, okay. This is uh, Pat Stone, and uh, uh, I don't know if you heard the earlier part. Peggy was busting me because the last time you were on the show was in 2011. Uh, Wow, that's a long time ago. We're not going to let that happen again, okay? I promise you right now. We we will not let that happen again. And Pat is the editor, publisher, creator of a publication called Green Prince, The Weeders Digest. You get a little ding for that. Give him a beard ding as well for that. There we go. Uh, now. Yeah, yeah. I'm an <laughs> onion. I'm getting ding. This is a good morning. Yeah, exactly. Steven getting beard dings. And, and, and when you're done with the conversation, if you want, go back to bed. I don't care. However, you're an hour uh, later than we are here. So uh, you're in uh, North Carolina. And um, uh, what's the. What, I, I don't know if you realize this, but in Chicago, we are bracing for a storm that's going to knock the temperatures down, I think, to 12 degrees on a Tuesday morning. Um, and I don't yeah, know. I
8: heard you got an arctic class coming.
5: Oh, yeah. And maybe a little bit of snow, maybe a couple. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs>
4: no, I'm not ready well, for I... this. You may even get some out by you, Pat. not gonna as much, but.
8: Onion. You're well... going to call me an onion? I can give you arctic class, <laughs> all right?
5: <laughs> okay. All righty. Uh, uh, and Peggy was out yesterday trying to get ready. Uh, to uh, to accept this And then so am I Because uh, when I get home today I'm going to be out in the neighbor's parkway Raking leaves and putting them into mm-hmm. my garden It's like I'm stealing their leaves And we'll, we're going to be talking about that later About leaving the leaves uh, You know, and how good it is for your garden But uh, I'm going to steal the leaves and In fact, that's my motto Steal your neighbor's leaves
4: Oh yeah When they're sitting all out at the curb Bags of them It's like, bring yeah, them to my yard Take them in
5: but uh that's why peggy's out there and i'm out there cuz we're we're just bracing ourselves because it seems like uh, the end is nigh uh however if yeah. you if you go to net, the blog post and and scroll down to the gentle wisdom of green prince you will see and i hope you don't mind i put the winter cover that you so graciously mm-hmm. sent me it's so nice that's just a lovely that's one of the best covers ever I think you've done uh for the for green Pr- Prince, Pat you must like it
8: I like all the covers I'm so blessed with the artists I have I use 14 different illustrators from all over the country in Canada and yeah, it's a, like opening a present to see the see the, the art arrive for each issue
4: mm-hmm
5: and who did uh, this one?
4: Well, these people probably don't know what the heck Greenprint is. Yeah, I was going to say, for those who don't know what Greenprint uh, is.
5: Sure they are. Sure they do. Well, no, maybe Some
8: they if don't. I'd like to swap insults with you for 20 minutes, John. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead. Greenprint. So what have you been doing since
4: 1990? <laughs> since 1990.
8: 30 years I've been making this magazine, my wife and I and our kids. It's a Weeder's digest. It's the only magazine. It shares the personal side of gardening, the personal stories, the ways it touches us inside. It has humor, it is hard, it has inspiration, it has big mistakes, it has generational stories, stories regarding with pets. It's just the, the real part of why we garden. We garden for our fruits, we garden for our flowers, but we also garden for the inner satisfaction, rewards, and solace, and encouragement, and connection that gardening gives us. That's what this magazine shares. It's the only one in the world that shares it.
5: Uh, well, I I say also that it's about how we live, love, and survive gardening, despite our best efforts to kill our <laughs> beloved plants. And, and there's a yeah, lot. Yeah, we're all expert planticides,
8: and that's good. <laughs>
5: well, and that's part of it too. It's the it's the real life stories. If, if folks. Uh, if folks get a subscription to the Green Prince, and they should, and they should also consider getting a subscription for their friends for the holidays, and you, that information, I've got the link uh, at my website, mikenovac.net, uh, but you can also go to greenprints.com and find all of that information, and if you and if you, you search the site, you don't put the uh, articles online because that would defeat the purpose of having a, a print magazine, uh, but you have a few up there, and I and I put a few. Uh... Right there. Go, Go ahead, ahead,
8: sir. Well, no, I put a few stories from every issue up there, and you can see the covers. You get a feel for the magazine. Mm-hmm. It's totally different than everything else. But so you, it's helpful to look at it, see how beautiful it is, how wonderful, yeah. how wonderful, how tactile it is, how sensuous. And gardeners love it. I have people that tell me. I kiss each issue every time it arrives.
5: I hope they wipe it off then.
8: I had one woman <laughs> I had one woman write me if I had to eat nothing but rice for 3 months, I would not go without my green prints.
5: Wow. That's pretty tender. That, that, that yeah. really yeah. is. Uh, yeah. So your fans are very supportive and very loyal.
8: Well, and I'm grateful for them. They, it fills a niche for them. It helps yeah. unite that community of gardeners that we all are. Green Prince is a balm to my soul. I carry it with me everywhere.
5: And he said, you know, "Balm." He said, I have ba- "People that." I was just going to say, you said bomb with "balm" with B A L M, not B O M B. No, like, right? Not not a bomb balm. For you, Soothing. Yes, I know a balm. Yes. for his soul.
4: And and, and that's be- that, was- that's sort of connect. Go ahead, again. I was going to say because it is print. And with gardening, and it's something you can just curl up with the cup of tea, the cup of coffee, whatever, and just sit there and read and and not have your screen in front of you.
8: Right, right. And the stories are short. They don't take long Mm -hmm. to read. And, you know, when you said bomb, not bomb, it reminded me that so much of our media today is so negative and so angrily or whatever. And here's something positive and warm and tender. You know that the, the values of the important things in life and shares them, which gardening does. Gardening does for all of us. So that's what this magazine shares. It's been encouraging. It's loving. It's caring, and it's funny.
5: Yes, it is. And and again, I'm going to go back to the what I said earlier. The stories are real stories from people who are not always the best gardeners, but they're mo- the, the most earnest gardeners in the world. And. Um, like columns I used to write for Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, and we'll get into that in just, in just a second, um, They, uh, you're, you're going to learn something from reading these columns, even though it's not a how-to uh, uh, kind of piece that you're reading. But you always learn something from people's mistakes, don't you, Pat? You do. And the,
8: you know That's the most important thing. Having, the most important tool a gardener should have is a sense of humor, because you never know when you're going <laughs> to need it. If, if, if you'd like, if you have a couple of minutes, I'll share a story, a short story.
5: Sure, time, please do.
8: Okay, I'll give you a choice. You can have a funny one or a tender one. Which do you want?
5: I always opt for the funny one.
8: All right. This one I had the privilege of telling last night because it was the 20th anniversary of our local library. And the library was built on what was a cornfield. This is a story called Picking Corn by Harvey Silver. One of the things I miss most about my dad is his quirky sense of humor. I often think of my dad when I ate sweet corn. You see, dad enjoyed sweet corn, but he insisted it be fresh. I mean, I, I trust you remember, Mike, back when the only corn you could buy sweet corn started turning to starch as soon as you harvested it.
9: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
8: kernels yes. to starch, changing from sugar to starch. Now they do better than that. And so you had to eat it fresh. The sooner the better. My dad was very adamant about that. When I was a boy, we had a small vegetable garden in the backyard. We grew all the usual things, cucumbers, tomatoes, green beans, and sweet corn. We normally picked our vegetables and let mom prepare the dinner with them, but not with sweet corn. When it was time to get that, my dad would wait till just before dinner, place a large pot of water on the stove, and heat it to boiling. And he and I would rush out to the garden, pick and shuck the corn, head straight back to the kitchen, and throw it in the water. Oh, that was good. After I grew up, my folks moved to a new home where they didn't have a garden. My dad still loved sweet corn, so he bought it at a local farm stand, never in the grocery store. One afternoon on the way home from work, he stopped at the farm stand and asked if they had any fresh sweet corn. I have some right here, said the farmer. It was just picked this morning. This morning, dad said. Have anything fresher? (laughs) Well, I have some here I haven't put out yet. You can have some of that. It was just picked an hour ago. An hour ago? Don't you have anything fresher?
1: Right
8: then, the farmer was becoming just a bit annoyed with my father. He took him out into the field just behind his farm stand, picked some corn on the spot, handed it to Dad and said, There, is that fresh enough for you? My dad looked at him and said, I don't know. You're picking kind of slow. <laughs> oh, that's a that that, shaggy dog corn story.
5: <laughs> there aren't a whole lot of shaggy dog corn stories out there, but uh, <laughs> that's a good one.
4: Uh, I put some others. Uh, oh, I get to share that. Yeah. The, the one with the frog on the bench. That was a great story. I love that. And I put
8: that. Oh, that's so that's
5: true it is and it's on my website if you go uh, scroll down you'll find three stories that I chose uh, from some of the ones you have on your website uh, my dinosaur bromeliad which is from the most recent edition uh, or uh, um, issue yep, yep. I- issue uh, and you'll wonder what a dinosaur bromeliad is uh, it's actually a very funny story uh, <laughs> my botanical breakdown and I have those on a regular basis by the way Pat Um and uh, pond, but and it has to do with deer. By the way, the botanical breakdown. So anybody's, or,
4: or you could substitute chipmunks. You could, so,
5: <laughs> if you're in Peggy, <laughs> you could, because that's Peggy's uh, trauma. Uh, and then Pondering with Walden is the story about the frog, and it's really a delight if uh, you get a chance to read that. So those are three that I put I up there. I am
8: flattered you put those on your site, Mike. I'm really flattered. That Nothing means more to me than people enjoying the stories and sharing them. So that's that's the best endorsement I could ever get.
5: Thank you. You're quite welcome. All right, a little serious business for just a, a minute or two here. And you have survived for 30 years now, um, and— as you probably know, uh, State-by-State Gardening went out of business this year, uh, which had 21 magazines across the country. Uh, you, uh, There was one in North no. Carolina. I know there was one in North Carolina that went belly up, right? Yeah, no, I'm so sorry about that. And a lot of it's people... A tough time for media. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, and again, my question is, Pat, gardening is supposed to be the number one hobby in America. What's happening here? Is it just the the rise of, social, of, of Internet media versus print media, or is something else going on here? Because now there are probably, I said millions before, it's probably more like hundreds of thousands of people who suddenly lost their favorite gardening publication uh, in 21 states. What, what do you have to say about that?
8: Well, I have to say I'm sad. Really sad. I think just that's basically just the whole world going out of print. You know, magazines, newspapers. I mean, all these things are struggling. They're having trouble just because so much advertising moved from those things to online. So that's where you know that's where the media goes. So now you read everything online, which is fine. Um, but this the experience of holding a newspaper in your hands or a magazine is this warm and friendly as green prints. That can't be duplicated. I mm-hmm. do sell digital subscriptions. You know, people can subscribe and get the magazine digitally. I have over ten thousand print subscribers and twenty five digital subscribers. Wow. People like to hold this magazine. Yeah.
4: That that's so a, that, I have yeah. a niche. And you have
8: a right niche to survive.
4: Yeah, and niche publications are what are surviving the most. Uh, well, if folks want to yeah. get a subscription,
5: and I advise them to do that, if they like to hold it in their hands and read, and as Peggy said, have a cup of tea or even a libation, uh, <laughs> uh, you can go to greenprints.com You can also go to my website, You Get one for a friend. You're not going to regret it, and they're going to love you for it. Pat Stone, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it.
8: Thank you, Mike and Peggy.
5: Have a warm week. I hope you enjoy it. Ah, No chance of that. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. You want to install a solar energy system for your home, but you're afraid you'll be overwhelmed by choices and jargon. You need to talk to our friends at Albright Solar. Albright Solar offers a boutique, hands-on approach to your situation. They know the ins and outs of local solutions. They take the confusion out of the process and make solar simple, giving you the confidence to enjoy your investment. Harness the power of the sun. Go to albright.solar or call 773-887-6446.
4: This is Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings Chicago Magazine. And for the past eight years, we've been helping Chicagoans to lead healthier and more sustainable lives. Pick up a copy of Natural Awakenings each month and enjoy new information about health and wellness, local foods, raising healthy kids, helping our environment, and living a more sustainable life. Get your free copy of Natural Awakenings in more than 1,100 locations throughout city and suburbs, or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more.
3: Are you looking for a new ride, ready to leave gas stations in the dust and speed away down the highway, zero to 60 in under three seconds? Well, here's your chance. The Illinois Solar Energy Association is raffling off a 2019 Tesla Model X, the award-winning all-electric SUV. But you need to get your tickets soon because only 2,500 will be sold. So how do you win? Go to store.illinoisolar.org. That's store.illinoisolar.org. Buy one raffle ticket for $100 or the four pack for $300. All raffle proceeds will fully benefit the Illinois Solar Energy Association, a nonprofit working to advance solar energy development throughout the state of Illinois. The winner will be drawn at the ISEA member meeting on December 5, 2019. Anyone in the continental US is eligible to win and you don't even need to be present at the drawing to claim your prize. So get your tickets, the rules and all the other small print details at illinoissolar.org today.
5: Everybody, sing along. Here we go.
1: Crossing the highway late last night, It shoulda looked left and it shoulda looked right. Thank you, Robbie. We didn't see the station wagon. <laughs> hey, caught. at least you didn't call me love and got squashed. And- there you are, you yep.
5: did, skunk in the middle of the uh, Yeah, you do, and that's actually a, a, a funny song, but it leads us into our next segment uh, because, as we know, the monarch butterfly migration is still happening across the country. Not in Chicago, thank goodness, because they if, freeze. if they were here on Monday or Tuesday, that's it. You're done, although I saw some late ones. Get out of here. And I was I was yelling at him and saying, "Get, go south. Hey, I had the hummingbird in the middle of the
4: snowstorm right. on
5: Halloween. Yeah, on Halloween, you had a hummingbird. Yikes. Okay. Well, that brings us to our next guest, Dr. Robert Coulson uh, from the, well, he's a professor of entomology at Texas A&M University. Uh, Dr. Coulson, good morning. Good morning to you. It's great to talk to you. Uh, you are in the Knowledge Engineering Laboratory at Texas A&M. What the heck is a Knowledge Engineering Laboratory?
9: Well, it was a laboratory that we established back in the mid-'80s to uh, build computer systems for planning and problem-solving and decision-making in natural resource management. And that sort of morphed over into conducting research in landscape ecology. Or spatial ecology and so we do both we conduct research in uh in landscape ecology and, and build computer systems
5: okay uh i i'm i'm going to ask you the phone is a little muffled so speak as clearly okay. as possible. Maybe, maybe maybe actually back off from it a little bit i don't i'm not sure whether you need to get closer or far further from the microphone we'll we'll see what happens um and, and we've got uh, Andrew in there. He's tweaking along, uh, doing as much as he can, too. Uh, so I got information uh, from Texas A&M the other day uh, about a program you guys are doing in Texas. And the mo- the monarch butterflies are still migrating south towards Mexico right now. And they will be, what, for another few weeks? Yes, sir. It will uh, go uh, to
9: uh, around the 1st of December is when they're out of Texas and almost into the overwintering sites uh, in central Mexico. But it's going on uh, full bloom right now in Texas, a little bit south of College Station, which is in central Texas. It's uh, getting down more towards the border of Texas and uh, Mexico.
5: Uh, So this is an opportunity for you uh, to do some research about roadkill. And, you know, I made fun of it with a skunk, dead skunk in the middle of the road. But when you 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 and I talked the other day and you said something, because I, I was talking to you and I said, I hit a monarch earlier this year and I just said, oh, I can't do that. I hate doing that. And you said, what about people who are driving through a swarm of monarchs that are migrating south? And that doesn't happen just in Texas. That happens across the country. And there's nothing you can do. And it's a traumatic experience, isn't it? Yes, that's
9: correct. And- uh, if, 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 if you've ever experienced that, you'll remember it.
4: Yeah.
9: Uh, when we started doing the research on on, on our third kills, uh, we received numerous testimonials of individuals that had experienced that phenomenon, and it was traumatic to all of them. And it was something that it was indelible uh, in their minds. They would not forget about it.
5: So this happens even more in Texas. And why is that, uh, Dr. Coulson?
9: Well, the migration begins to funnel uh, and narrow when uh, the, the insect gets to Texas uh, on its journey to uh, Central Mexico. And as the, the boiler, uh begins to narrow, the populations increase in size, and then any mortality that occurs in those concentrated populations tends to be very large. And uh, and that of course mostly towards uh, in South Texas and along the uh, the coastal flyway, which uh, goes along
5: the uh, the Gulf Coast, of Texas. Yeah. So so you've got probably I would imagine a a western flyway, a central flyway. You mentioned the coastal flyway. So what happens? This is the eastern monarch we're talking about, and this is the monarch that is uh west or east of the Rocky Mountains and they come down from yeah as far away as Nova Scotia and central Canada, uh, and they're making a trip all the way down to Mexico, uh, and uh, they funnel into Texas, as you say. So some are coming. I, I would imagine if you got monarchs along the east coast in, in New Jersey and New York, they're probably coming along the coastal flyway, aren't they? That's correct. There
9: are two flyways, the central flyway and the coastal flyway, most of the population comes down the uh, central flyway. Uh, and when it gets into Texas, uh, uh, we have two distinct flyways. We've got a coastal and, and the central flyway. And again, the central one is, is where most of the insects are coming through. Uh, and that is an area that in the past where we concentrated on looking at our roadkill surveys. But we also found that that coastal flyway, uh, particularly along causeways where the uh, populations of, of having to move across water bodies. Uh, we found that uh, roadkill mortality was really significant in those areas as well. We call those hot spots where you have concentrated populations of the insects that are killed that are killed, and those occur in different places around Texas. Part of what we're trying to do is identify, identify where those hot spots occur and how frequently they occur, and if there uh, are things like uh, topographic features or wind currents, uh, that result in the recurrence of those hot spot locations uh, during different years.
5: So, are the hotspot places generally the same year after year, or do you not know that yet?
9: Well, we don't know that, but it appears to be that that is the case. Now, there may be some variation around specifically mm-hmm. where they occur, but the, the, the geographic locations, the, the sort of micro locations, appear to be uh, recurrent. Uh, in different years, but that's part of the studies that we're doing.
4: And how long has your team been doing these studies?
9: Well, we had a project um, uh, on our butterflies uh, through the Comptroller General's Office of the state of Texas. Uh, that organization, that agency oversees the uh, research funding for endangered species in Texas. And Monarch Butterflies has been petitioned for listing as an endangered or threatened species. And our project began back in 2016. Our current project deals with or is supported by the Texas Department of Transportation, TxDOT. And this is the first year of that study. And uh, we're out, our our survey entomologists are out right now conducting surveys. And this is the the first of four that we'll do during the next couple of years, Mm -hmm. two in the fall and two in the spring
5: uh-huh and and i think folks should realize also i mean there's not much the monarchs can do at this point <laughs> except go through texas because that's their that's their flyway uh but they they make this what thousand mile journey they go to uh to mexico they overwinter in mexico and folks they're not reproducing at that point they have to come back to texas in the spring and then they have a couple of generations in Texas, uh, Texas. So this, as we've talked about on the show, this is one of the remo- most remarkable instances in nature of uh, selective, uh, I guess, uh, reproduction, where you have these uh, butterflies that are capable, one generation that's capable mm-hmm. of withstanding the journey down, overwintering, coming back. And then otherwise, they're, they have a much shorter lifespan. Right, Dr. Colson? That's
9: correct. You've absolutely correctly identified uh, the the truly remarkable um, uh, feature of that migration uh, phenomenon, that the insects that are down there that get to Mexico from the migration, from the fall migration, are the same ones. Those individuals are the same ones that return to Texas, and they'll reproduce two times in Texas before they move up into the Midwest and towards the East. And that, that is truly a remarkable phenomenon, um, unlike any other uh, in nature. And The monarch butterfly migration is, is unique.
5: It really is. All right, I'm going to ask you. <laughs> you don't. We're still getting a. It's a little muffled. The, the conversation. Our engineer is nodding. Do you have a, 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 a landline by any chance nearby?
9: Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> uh, I can put you on speaker if that'll
4: help. Let's give it a shot. Yeah. And I think Ellie will call you back over the break too. Let's try the speakerphone for a
5: second. You you? okay? Hold on. Oh, that sounds like it's going to be better. Okay. That dude. Oh my goodness! Much better. He gets a ding. I wish I'd have done that five (laughs) minutes ago. Okay, that's good. Well, that means that I'm going to be able to keep you around (laughs) for the next segment. Otherwise, I'm going to have to let you go. Well, this is uh, good. And now you mentioned that uh, the the Texas Department of Transportation. You call it TXDOT. Is that what they call it?
0: That's correct.
5: That's right. All right. And Texas A&M Transportation Institute are working with the Knowledge Engineering Laboratory at the Texas uh, A&M College of Agriculture and Life Science, and that the Entomology Department is part of that. So uh, I'll tell you what, when we come back, uh, we will get a little more information uh, about this and uh, how this might uh, protect monarchs in Texas. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back.
7: What is sustainable seafood, and why should we care? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Sustainable seafood is seafood that is either caught or farmed in ways that consider the long-term vitality of species, the well-being of the oceans, and the communities that depend on fishing for their economy. In case you didn't know, our oceans are experiencing severe distress from environmental destruction and overfishing. The Marine Stewardship Council offers labels to make it easier to find fish that is sustainably sourced. So if you love your seafood without plastic microbeads and you want to make sure it is there for future generations, please consider sustainable seafood options. I'm Green Diva Meg. Please visit thegreendivas.com to find useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and, of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on
4: Facebook and YouTube at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, mike at mikenovak.net or also at thegreendivas.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn and on the Smart Talk Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at mikenovak.net. Sign up to get our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at mikenovak.net.
1: It's hot in December, cold in July When it rains, it pours out of a poisonous sky In California, the body counts keep getting higher It's evil out there, man, that state is always on fire Just had a hard day on the planet
5: Especially if you're a monarch butterfly. No. Well, not just monarchs; other insects as well. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. We're very pleased to have on speakerphone, uh, Dr. Robert Colson, professor of entomology at Texas A&M University. Uh, let's let's basically get into that. We have a, a couple of entomologists who come regularly on our show, uh, Bob, if I might call you Bob, um, and we Please ta- do. Okay, and we talk about insect populations and you know the big picture of insect decline uh, if you go to my website uh, and you see the blog I wrote for today um, I, I caught some you know you you probably saw the articles uh, in the last year Bob about the insect uh, uh, insect to uh, the the insect mm-hmm. apocalypse. Um, and I read those, two, and I posted about them. And then I read other articles that said, you know, that's really being overstated, and we really don't have all the data on that, so let's not get alarmist about this. What, where do you stand on that?
0: Well, I, I'm like you. I'm not real sure what it all means. The observations that people have made uh, that I'm familiar with have dealt with so when I drive between locations that I used to, uh, to travel I don't have as many insects stuck on my windows, mm-hmm. on my uh, windshield as I used to. I, I don't know. I, it, it's um, I, I, there's not a lot of empirical evidence to suggest that it's true, but I, I really can't uh, comment on it. I really don't know. Okay. And uh, I do know that the the monarch butterfly, for example, there, there's no question that the populations of that insect have declined by about 80% at the overwintering sites over the last 20-plus years. So there's, no, there, there's empirical evidence that that is true and that it could be happening to uh, other insects is probably true as well. Uh, monarch butterflies are iconic, and in that regard, they're studied in much more detail than mm-hmm. most other insects are. Unless you're interested in uh, pest insects, insects that are eating your food or uh, carrying diseases that make you sick, uh, they most insects don't get studied in great detail, but right. fortunately, the monarch butterfly
5: knight does. Fortunately, but you know, pity the hoverfly who's who's covering that, you know, and uh, and and and, and yeah. detailing that. And 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 you mentioned something that is actually now uh, has a name. It's called the windshield phenomenon. Uh, in of course, in Great Britain, they call it the windscreen phenomenon. Uh, And it is something that other people have noticed. And and it's the same thing with the back porch light Mm -hmm. phenomenon, which is there aren't as many bugs around your back porch light as there used to be. That's anecdotal. And there's not – we don't have the data. And part of the reason is that we were not counting insects in in the early part of the 20th century because there was no reason to. Although we probably, as scientists – uh, and researchers probably should have been doing that, but it never occurred to anybody except a small group of people in Germany who were doing some of that. But that doesn't give us data for the whole planet. Um, so,
0: Well, that's certainly true.
5: Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I was just interested in your take on that. But getting back to the monarchs, Peggy had uh, some interesting things she told me about during the break, and i wonder if you could comment on. There,
4: there was an article in um, San Antonio News recently talking about how they're studying monarch wings and noticing, perhaps because of climate change, that the insect's wings are actually getting longer because their journeys are getting further to get to um, summer grounds and winter grounds.
0: Well, that could very well be true. I'm not familiar with, with the study on it. Uh, insects, like other living organisms, adapt to the mm-hmm. world that they, uh, they live in. And the re- changes in resources and conditions, and result in adaptations, new adaptations that allow the organism to persist through time. And that certainly could be one of the uh, uh, the adaptations that's occurring. I'm not familiar with it, though, so I'm I'm just speculating on it.
5: Uh,
4: you yeah. go ahead. You want one more thing? Um, actually, I was going to ask another question about your study, but. Well, that's what I was
5: going to ask, too. Okay, so let's get back to the study in Texas, which, again, you might have to do this for several years to really come to any uh, detailed conclusions, I would think. But let's say you do identify hot spots in the state of Texas. And as we said before in the first part, part of the uh, the problem is that all the monarchs are gathering en masse in Texas so they can get to Mexico. So there's more, there are more swarms um, and it's easier for them to get whacked by automobiles mm-hmm. at certain points. Let's say you do identify those hot spots. How do you mitigate that? How do you get drivers not to take out so many butterflies?
0: Well, that's part of our study is to do a uh, thorough review of the various types of mitigation strategies that have been uh, developed in the past. Now, generally, those deal with uh, with uh, mammals and with um, uh, with birds, that's where uh, most of the emphasis has been placed. And the different types of mitigation practices range from simply putting a road sign up that says slow down. You've all seen, you know, pictures of deer, <laughs> and that basically is showing where the uh, uh, the deer move across roadways. Um, that's actually been done for, for monarch butterflies. Really? So in Mexico, there's a—oh, yeah, there's a road between— uh, Monterrey and Saltillo, mm-hmm. which is, is notorious for uh, high levels of road kills. And they have a, a road sign there that, with a picture of a monarch butterfly on it uh, and the name in Spanish, uh, and ask the drivers to reduce their speed limit to 40 kilometers per hour. And does it work? Now, whether or not that happens. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, it'd be, it'd be, in theory, that, that would be something you could do. You certainly couldn't do that on Highway 10 or U.S. Um, Interstate Highway 10 in Texas. Nobody's going to slow down. I was going to say that. Right, good good luck.
5: Block. Good luck with that in Texas or <laughs> Illinois or or uh, out east. Uh, I was driving uh, in September, and those people are nuts. So uh,
4: none of those people are going to slow down. One of the. Yeah, say, I, I think. Go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say you sent us a bunch of studies, and one of them had a mitigation from I think it was either Taiwan or Japan, of nets to kind of raise the flight up over the traffic.
0: Yeah, that was one one study that was done in Taiwan, and it, and that actually was was quite effective. Uh, you know what they did is they timed the the placing of the nets uh, when the monarch or when the insect was flying through. It wasn't monarchs, and I, I can't re- recall the the species. Mm-hmm but uh it actually uh, uh, substantially reduced the mortality that occurred there. now, whether that's possible uh, our our role in this thing is really advisory. What we're trying to do is to look at uh, at potential uh, mitigation strategies you know one might be planting uh milkweed or flowering plants in certain locations to move the the migration to respond to either habitat or to a fuel source for the for the migration uh, you know dr Coles- again that's uh,
5: uh, real quick like 15 seconds but we've been planting milkweed along highways isn't that a problem
0: well we don't know uh that could be and that's part of what we're our study is looking at that at the uh, how uh it how how you how much is the milkweed along roadways utilized okay. by marmots now that would be in the spring migration we're, we're
5: done we're here dr colson thank you so much for being on the show go to mikenovak.net you'll get more information
3: captain's log started 42326.1 the enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form mr wolf status report inexplicable captain they appear to be perambulating vegetables we are being stalked by stalks of asparagus That is incorrect, Mr. Worf. Killer asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. And so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. Aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking.
2: Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak.
5: All I need is good food to eat. Make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, rooted. All I need is good All I need Welcome is good back to the Mike Novak made. Show with Peggy Mlecki. Get off of that seat, Peggy. You're not allowed to sit down during this show. Come on. I was busy
4: sharing the video. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like you, you, nobody sits, no, nobody sits well, during except, the show.
5: Except for, for Andrew uh, there in the the studio because as we found out earlier
6: i have an ultimate storage capacity of 800 quadrillion bits my total linear computational speed has been rated
3: at 60 trillion operations per second
5: okay and i told him uh, i wrote a joke to him earlier this week i'm really going to bust you here andrew we
1: okay that's we, all good We <laughs> <my> <laughs> house does it all the time
5: yeah i know I'm 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 actually really kind to you compared to Mighty House. Yes, you are. I, I am that. absolutely. So I told a joke to Andrew. This, this <laughs> Oh
1: yes, and it kind of went.
5: It, it kind of went something like this.
1: I have an ultimate storage
8: capacity
5: of oh, eight hundred. No, 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 <laughs> no. That's not the one I wanted. Okay, I meant to do. I told a joke to Andrew, and it went something like this.
1: You told a joke. I am not laughing. Perhaps the joke was not funny. Well, when was this? this I don't who
5: this. <laughs> that was the one in email. It was in the email when I said um, about uh, Mike Jackson. Oh, yes. That okay. one.
1: I I just um, I go through emails so quickly. <laughs> I just didn't register. Uh, something about asking. I'm not you, laughing. J- Perhaps yeah. the joke was not, the not funny. He talks about trout or something
5: like that. <laughs> yeah, it was right. It was about trout. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, Welcome back to the show. Commander uh, so, Andrew. <laughs> so you are now... Commander Data. That's who you are. Exactly. Uh, Robotic. uh, robotic (laughs) No, you're not robotic, (laughs) but you are are humorous. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. And uh, all all I've got to say about myself is... What a jerk. Okay, and I am. Uh, But... uh, uh, I, what yes?
4: And I was going to say something because you you busted me for sitting down while I was posting the show to another Facebook page. So everybody watching us on Facebook, please start a watch party. We please have, share with we your have, friends. have
5: we are posting this on forty six thousand Facebook pages right now, but we have seventeen viewers. So we. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I don't know how that works. Math doesn't. It, it doesn't add up. Here. It has something to do with Mark Zuckerberg, no doubt. Uh,
5: uh, oh, of course, everything has to do with Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, oh, real quick, real quick, because this is like the coolest thing ever. The I, dinosaur
4: that the, went
5: around the moon. The dinosaur that went around the galaxy. All right, there was this. Uh, it was a horrible headline, but uh, ScienceAlert. Uh, dot com. Um. Had a story that says NASA scientists shows dinosaurs roamed Earth on the other side of the Milky Way. Okay, it it might be because they 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 only had so much space to get in there. Uh, it's kind of misleading, but the point is, di- when dinosaurs roamed the planet Earth, Earth and our solar system, our sun and our solar system was on the other side of the galaxy, and it has it it rotates around our galaxy around the center of our galaxy Mm -hmm. so the same way that the planets rotate around the sun the sun rotates around the center of the galaxy at the time the dinosaurs were here we were on the other side of the galaxy which is pretty amazing um So it says that the sun orbits the galaxy center, completing its rotation every 215 million years or so. This animation shows that the last time our solar system was at its current point in the galaxy, the Triassic period was in full swing and dinosaurs were just beginning to emerge. And it just shows you how long the dinosaurs were here and how short a time we've been here. And I keep saying that. If we find a dinosaur Rosetta Stone, uh-huh. we're really gonna be humbled. I'm telling you, they might have they might have built up a whole civilization that we don't even know of. They got wiped out. All right, it's the way it goes. Uh, oh boy, are we excited! Uh, in the the next segment, we're going to be talking about leaving the leaves in your backyard with Dr. Elaine Evans from the University of Minnesota. So stick around. When it comes to tree care, it's all about the science. Well, there's love and history and family too, but you definitely want the best science for your trees. That's why you should contact Bartlett Tree Experts at bartlett.com. With 120 offices around the world including Canada, England, and Ireland, Bartlett is the largest residential tree care firm in the world. Their work is backed by the science of the Bartlett Research Laboratories in North Carolina. They pioneered integrated pest management or IPM in the 1970s, introduced the first organic fertilizer, and now Bartlett is the first and only tree care company to research the benefits of biochar on urban soils and tree health. At the same time, they're focused on you and your needs, meaning that they'll do the right thing for your tree and you. Put science to work for your trees. Get a free estimate today, because every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. City Grange, Chicago's newest and most unique garden center, wants to remove all barriers to your gardening success. How? By providing organic heirloom plants for your kitchen garden, pollinator-friendly natives and annuals, container planting to go. They deliver the plants you put them in. Who does that? Classes for adults and kids, special events and more. They even have complimentary valet parking on weekends. 5500 Northwestern Avenue at Catalpa, citygrange.com. Learn, shop, blossom.
4: Illinois has become a national leader in solar energy installation, and right now you can save 60 to 70% on installation costs. You want it for your home or business, but you don't know where to start. So give our friends at Albright Solar a call. Albright Solar offers a boutique, hands-on approach to your situation. They know the ins and outs of local solutions, and we've worked with them for a decade. They're good people, and they know their stuff. Go to albright.solar or call 773-887-6446.
5: Now for something completely different for the season, the Frozen
1: Robins. Oh holy night. Late December back in one BC. Twas the night of the nativity. What a baby, what a night.
5: Talented, funny, unique, the frozen robins are Chicago's number one caroling
3: group. Exquisite
5: harmonies, madcap improvisation, holiday sketches and characters, even a 10-minute version of It's a Wonderful Life. They are definitely not your mother's carolers. Go to frozenrobins.com or contact me, Mike, at mikenovak.net. Because I'm not just a fan of the Frozen Robins, I are one. Yeah! Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and this is in honor of our, and she's grooving to the music too, oh my goodness, (laughs) in honor of our guest, Dr. Elaine Evans, no, if I say Ph.D. at the end of it, that's redundant, the Department of Redundancy Department. Uh, Again? And again, uh, uh, Elaine is an Extension Educator and B. Researcher in the Department of Entomology at the University of Minnesota, you're part of Minnesota Extension, welcome to the
11: show. Thank you, Uh, glad to be here.
5: I can actually hear the bees in your room there, in in your, your home. Or, or is that the ocean? Maybe that's the ocean there. I don't know. In Minnesota? In Min- <laughs> I guess not. Maybe a, a lake. Um, uh, well, we're you're on the show today because uh, I got yet another cool email this week. And it was from uh, the government, actually, from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service about helping native pollinator with their Leave the Leaves campaign. Let's start there. What is the Leave the Leaves campaign, Elaine?
11: So um, there's a lot of people who are um, getting on board with with helping pollinators, and there's all kinds of different things that we can do, and some of them are really simple. They're things we just have to not do. If we actually just leave leaves when they fall down, it makes um, for a more natural system and it leaves important habitat there that was really crucial for a lot of pollinators for their overwintering because, um, these, the, we mostly think about pollinators when we see them on, on flowers in the summertime, but they need to survive the winter too.
5: All right. And that is, uh, I think knowledge that, uh, too many people don't have, uh, frankly, they don't know how bees sur- Oh, we lost the ocean. Oh, there! Oh, oh! I see. You're bringing it in and out, Andrew. Okay, thank you, uh, Commander Data. Uh, and uh, so, solitary bees behave differently from bees that, uh, honeybees that are in a hive, right? Could you explain some of the behavior? I know uh, all bees are a little different, but uh, say some of the bumblebees. You're you're uh, trying to protect. Uh, the rusty patched bumblebee, which is in danger, uh, it's just kind of disappeared from our landscapes in the last 40 years, which is uh, alarming. Uh, let's start with that bee or
11: similar bees. So um, bumblebees are also social insects. So they do have um, colonies where there's a queen and workers all living together in the nest through the summer. But then they also have a solitary phase. So when they make their new queens in, at the end of their colony cycle, those are the only ones that survive the winter. So bumblebees, only these new queens that are produced are the only ones that survive the winter. And so they, we actually need to learn a lot more about what they do. But from what we know, they find places where they, they dig themselves down in the ground, just a couple inches down. And that's where that leaf litter can be an important <laughs> layer to help um, protect and you know, insulate them when they're down in there. And then um, it's in the spring, then it's just these queens that come out and they need to, to find new nests and the whole bumblebee colony for the next year is um is based on that and um we actually have a i mentioned we don't know that much about them there's actually a new project that we just launched with um, bumblebee researchers across north america that's called queen quest Mm -hmm. and what we're trying to do is get people to help us figure out where bumblebee queens are overwintering and um, what we're asking people to do is to go out and just Dig around in the dirt in places where they might be, and see if we can find them, and then share that data with the bumblebee science community.
5: Uh, so that is interesting in itself. That the queen survives, so she repopulates the colony by springtime, and the, and so those the worker bees you see uh, have all been hatched at uh, in the in the spring. Is
11: that what happens? Right. They, so they build up the colony through the mm-hmm. year. So the colony each year just starts from just that single queen that has to go out right. and find pollen and nectar, make a nest, and she'll start. She lays kind of batches of eggs and eventually these, the eggs are her workers and they mm-hmm. go out and the colony will, will build up gradually over the, over the summer.
5: Uh, okay, see, that's what I didn't get. It's like it, does, it doesn't come out uh, full-blown in the spring. The colony right. increases as the summer. What's the advantage of the colony increasing as the summer
11: goes on? So they need to be able to get a lot of pollen in to be able to produce the next generation of reproductive. So these queens mm-hmm. that they produce at the end of the colony cycle... It takes a lot of pollen to make those queens, and so they need a lot of workers to be able to go out and collect that pollen and bring it back. And so um, they only can do that once the, the colony has built up.
5: Ah, okay. All right. Yeah. So, so there
11: are a lot of solitary bees, too, that can benefit from from yeah. leaving the leaves, and those are a lot different. So, so they don't have that colony that builds up over the, the summer. A lot of those solitary bees... They're only out for maybe one or two weeks as adults. We uh-huh. only see them, and the rest of the time, they're just um, in their nests
4: as young. And, and Dr. Evans, we do have a question from one of our listeners on the solitary bees, wondering, um, is it better to have a bee house? She had bought a bee house, or would it be better in the leaves?
11: Yeah, so um, the, the bee houses are for bees that nest inside of stems or other cavities, which that makes up about 14% of the bees that we have in general. Um, you know, all the rest of these bees are mostly nesting in the ground. And so that those kind of bee houses um, are, are helping those cavity nesting bees, but to help the ground nesting bees, um, something like leaving the leaves is something you can do that'll, that'll help those, those other mm-hmm. bees. So
4: a combination. And-
11: Yeah, yeah, a combination. And um, you can also help those, um, instead of the the bee houses, if you just leave some stems in your yard. So when you're cutting back your your perennials, if you leave about 12 inches of stubble, that will um, provide that that same kind of habitat in a more natural way for the bees. Uh,
5: But, you know, that's anathema to a lot of people. Um, Peggy was just telling me during the break that, tell me, what's going on in your neighborhood?
4: A lot of the fall cleanups where every last leaf is gone, every hosta, every annual is just down to the ground. And and that part
5: of that is those people have too much money because they're out there, you know, they've got the time to go out there and they some of them hire crews to do this. I, I will tell you, honestly, in, in my block, in the heart of the city, nobody pays for that stuff mm-hmm. and nobody does it. And, and in a weird, weird way... In the heart of urban America, I think there are more leaves on the ground than sometimes there are in the suburbs. Yeah. Uh, you're nodding there, Elaine.
11: Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's um, a lot of evidence that you know the more we kind of leave stuff alone, the better it can be for um, for wildlife. And um, you know that, that's a good example of that. Yeah. And, well, it's, uh, and I, it's, it's and
5: like, I, and I have a you got, you got to go to my website if you get a chance, uh, uh, Elaine, to see the the photo I took in. This very city, Evanston, where we're broadcasting from last year, and it's a parkway, and on one side, the leaves are blown completely clear, and on the other side, it's completely covered in leaves, and this is an, a stark example of what happens in our country.
7: Yeah,
4: and it's, it's like having no, no um, weeds in your lawn, the same thing. People are conditioned, mm-hmm. got to get rid of everything.
11: And, and some of that is, is working on changing our aesthetics and how we think about our, our landscapes. And as we realize that our, our landscapes are an ecosystem, they're there they're providing things besides just the aesthetics for us. Um, and, and some of it is is getting people to, to change their, their view of the aesthetics to appreciate what's there. So So we do encourage people when they start doing these kinds of things to their yard to put up there's, there's lots of different signs you can get that say, you know, pollinator habitat. And then um, people will not just think that you're being lazy. They'll realize that you're, <laughs> you're doing it on purpose.
5: Well, but uh, that's a very important point. It's uh, who's the uh, doctor at the University of Michigan who came up with this uh, idea that uh, N- Nassauer. Um, uh, the idea that you have to give signals in your yard that this is not just neglected, that it's attended to. Signs are one, pathways are another, borders are a third, a tiny bit of lawn is another way. And all these signals tell people that, no, I'm actually paying attention to this and I'm doing it on purpose.
11: Yeah, that, that's a great point. And, and, you know, with with leaving the leaves, that's something that you don't have to leave all the leaves everywhere. You know, right. you can be strategic mm-hmm. and just leave them in on your your garden beds, or have some corners of your yard uh, where where you're doing that.
5: Let's you know, a, if you let, have
11: have areas of the lawn that you want to rake off, and and just get those right.
5: I mean, what bed. I do in my backyard. And by the way, for those of you who love your lawns, I get it. Um, I don't always agree with it, but I get it. Uh, at this time of the year, now that uh, we're getting the lawns are going to stop growing because we're about to freeze. You guys probably already are uh, yeah. up, up in Minneapolis right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> that's coming our way in Chicago, folks. Uh Mow your lawn short at this time of year. Then you'd, you're less likely to get the lawn diseases over the winter, snow molds and that sort of thing. But if you're concerned that the leaves are going to kill your lawn and there's some truth to that, not as much as you might think, you can mulch them on your lawn and they'll break down and that's great. Or... Just rake them into the garden beds, right? Yep. Yeah. All right. So here's my plan for today. Um, I'm going home before the cold weather hits because we're going to, what would you say? How much snow? Three inches of snow overnight. Our our, <laughs> our meteorologist will, will confirm that or not. Uh, I'm going to go home and rake those leaves from my neighbor's parkway, put them on my garden in front and in back. And then I'm counting on the snow to cover that. And that's like a double layer of insulation, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
11: Yeah, the, that snow layer is really important. And that's one thing that we worry about with, with pollinators, with, um, with, with climate change and with there being less snow cover. Uh, we worry about that, um, not providing that, that insulating for all those bees that mm-hmm. are and other pollinators that are overwintering under that snow layer. What's preferable,
4: mulched leaves or whole leaves?
11: You know, I don't think we know if there's if there's really a big a big difference. I think it's mostly just having that um you know that mass of some some vegetation there
5: uh, okay well, <laughs> you know, and that's what so much of science is about uh as we as we investigate these things, we find out more and more um that I've read. And you've probably read this as well, uh, Elaine, that uh, be careful about mulching, uh, you know, using the mulching mower on everything because you will chop up some insects. You will destroy some eggs, right?
11: Yeah, yeah. So there are, especially um, looking at things like caterpillars, Mm -hmm. um, looking at at moths and butterflies, a lot of them will be right in the leaves there for for overwintering. So I I tend to be bee-centric the bees are usually underground, so mulching's not that bad for them, but that's a really good point for, for other pollinators and other beneficial insects. Um, you don't want to chop everything up. Yeah,
4: that, leave the brush pile too. Yeah, so brush that.
5: pile as well is is important, isn't it, Dr. Evans?
11: Yeah, brush piles are great. Um, I've been in my, my house here for, for 20 years and put all kinds of houses out for bees. It wasn't until I started a couple of big brush piles that I um, finally had bumblebees nesting in my yard. Really? Wow.
5: Okay. Well, I've got some brush piles in mine, and I just kind of leave them and let them break down because then that provides uh, nutrients uh, as well to your soil.
11: Yeah, yeah. And I have a, a, I'm have in a small city lot right in, in St. Paul here, and um, what I've done is started some hoogle culture, if you're familiar with that, from yep. permaculture. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, I am able to have uh, raised some, some vegetables on top of my wood pile.
5: All right, we got like a minute here. Uh, I just want to uh, give a shout out because you're part of the Minnesota Bee Atlas and the Minnesota Bumblebee Survey. And by the way, bumblebees are my favorite bees <laughs> of all time. They're the harbingers of spring. You see them going do de do de do out in the backyard. <laughs> in, in, like how? Do de do de do. How are we doing with the rusty patch? You got like 30 seconds to tell me.
11: Yeah, so, um, well, actually right around Chicago and then around the Twin Cities here and also around Madison, Wisconsin, those are the places where we're still consistently seeing them, but we're not seeing nearly as many as we used to. So, uh, you know, the good news is that that we, in just in our city yards here, we have a chance to really make important habitat that's going to be really vital for the recovery of this species. So yep. we've got a long ways to go, but we have hope, and there's a lot of us that can can Dr.
5: Elaine Evans, Ph.D., thank you so much. Appreciate it.
2: Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals?
3: Are you looking for a new ride, ready to leave gas stations in the dust and speed away down the highway, zero to 60 in under three seconds? Well, here's your chance. The Illinois Solar Energy Association is raffling off a 2019 Tesla Model X, the award-winning all-electric SUV. But you need to get your tickets soon because only 2,500 will be sold. So how do you win? Go to store.illinoisolar.org. That's store.illinoisolar.org. Buy one raffle ticket for $100 or the four pack for $300. All raffle proceeds will fully benefit the Illinois Solar Energy Association, a nonprofit working to advance solar energy development throughout the state of Illinois. The winner will be drawn at the ISEA member meeting on December 5th, 2019. Anyone in the continental U.S. is eligible to win, and you don't even need to be present at the drawing to claim your prize. So get your tickets, the rules, and all the other small print details at IllinoisSolar.org today.
5: Is somebody uh, walking through the mud. You can't figure this out, can it? All of these instruments are made from vegetables.
4: Ah.
5: It's just another thing I found on the inner tubes <laughs> while I was cruising one day and I said, "You know what? I got to You know, got to save that for the show." And, and we have to do on the show, we have to do the sounds of of plants growing. Oh, yeah. We yeah. Ha- we and, ha-
4: the, and the wood sounds
5: one, too. Right. Sounds of plants growing. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're very honored uh, this morning to have Commissioner Kimberly Neely-Duboucle, if I've got that exactly right, on the phone with us. Commissioner, good morning.
6: Good morning, and yes, you got it exactly right. So thank you for that, and thank you
5: for having me. <laughs> Welcome. Well, we want to thank you, first of all, because uh, Commissioner DuBuclay, uh, who uh, in 2018 got elected to a two-year term to the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago, MWRD. Some folks know it as that because that's a lot shorter. Um, uh, when your your team found out that we were... Doing the awards again, and it's our third year of doing the awards. We gave us Chicago
4: Excellence in Gardening Awards. I'm sorry,
5: I didn't say that. Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards, thank you, or SEGA. Um, and your team found out and said, Hey, how can we help? And uh, we said, Um, what you got? (laughs) And and your team said, (laughs) And your team said, How about five rain barrels, uh, that the MWRD uh, gives out, and we'll give them to people who, um, who register for the competition? They didn't even have to win the competition. They didn't have to get an award. All they had to do was sign up, and then we drew the names randomly, and we gave out five of your rain barrels this year. And we're so grateful to you for that.
6: Well, we are happy to do that, and that's awesome. Those awesome awards, and we were happy that we could help. And then, so well, I don't. Know if the, oh, sorry,
5: go ahead. I was just going to say, and then you came to the award ceremony, and you and you gave a little talk, okay. and we appreciate that too.
6: Yes, of course I did. So parks and gardens um, are very close to my heart, partly because I grew up gardening with my grandmother. Then also I worked at the Chicago Park District where I worked with Park Advisory Council, and oftentimes they would do community gardens.
5: Yeah. So uh, you have a history of that, and you know how important it is, and, and we love recognizing um uh, Gardeners, uh, in that in any way we possibly can, and and we so we appreciate mm-hmm. that. So uh, that takes us to the MWRD, and we wanted briefly to talk about a couple of things you're doing. So let's start with the road show. Um, you know, obviously uh, sure. you're, you're concerned with water quality in the Chicago area, and you help clean our water, uh, as you mentioned on your own website. Um, very well. There's a lot of people not really sure what the MWRD does.
6: Um, take a couple minutes and just explain what we do.
5: Yeah, go ahead.
6: How about, how about a minute?
5: <laughs> sure, that's better. <laughs> um,
6: so yeah, so very briefly, what we do is we take everything that goes down the toilet, down the drain into our sewer systems, and all the wastewater that people don't think about, and we sanitize it and cleanse it to make sure it doesn't make its way back into our freshwater supply, which is Lake Michigan. We also build huge tunnels to help mitigate flooding. So we're a flooding agency, and we take care of the environment. Wow, that's
5: good. You've got the elevator speech down cold. (laughs) And and I know I've seen some of that in action uh, because I was there when you guys cut the ribbon. uh, It was in 2017, actually, for the McCook Reservoir. Uh, which sucks up billions of gallons of water and is actually... right
4: around this time of year, November. Yeah, it
5: was in December, actually, I believe. Um, And uh, that that actually prevented some flooding in the Chicago area last year, didn't it?
4: Yes,
6: it did. Um, And just another fun fact, we have seven water reclamation plants that provide hundreds of tours every year around uh, the county of Cook. Um, And Cook County, which is our service area, is the second largest county In America, the first largest county is Los Angeles County, and we're number two, servicing over 5 million residents. So our wastewater treatment plant, everything we do, covers, I'd say, 99% of Cook County, which is the second largest county in the United States.
5: And uh, as you say, folks might not know about it, but we know about it on this show, and we try to make sure that people understand the important work that the MWRD does. So we keep hammering that on this show because water quality is everything. Uh, we need we need clean water. But there are other things uh, that you do. So let's talk a little bit about the road show because next weekend you're going to be actually not too far from where I live uh, in Chicago at Von Steuben Metropolitan High School. 5039 North Kimball Avenue in Chicago from nine to noon. What are you going to have going?
6: Correct. Right. That's 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 absolutely correct. So um, I'd like to invite you and your listeners to participate in our upcoming road show. And as you said, it's going to be at Bond Steuben High School. And it's a chance where we take everything we do at our different plants and we bring it on the road. So you'll have an opportunity to meet our commissioners. You'll have an opportunity to meet. Directors and employees from the, from the various disciplines that work at the agency. Um, if someone is looking for a job, we'll have an HR booth set up so you can learn about career opportunities. Um, and it's just a way for us to show off what we do in local spots around the county. Mm-hmm. So if you have a child that's interested in science or if you're a teacher scientist, they'll have a chance to meet with dedicated professionals who can show them the fascinating and the magical world of water. There's so much to learn.
5: The magical world. Of water, but you you have to say the magical. You have to say the magical world of wastewater. Uh, but it is yes, not. or, or yes. clean water, or well, waste. It's magic because yeah. you turn uh, wastewater into
4: clean water. So there's the magic. And I I see that folks can yeah. also sign up to win a rain barrel if they go.
6: They can also set up to win a rain barrel. That's correct. Um, and we have different booths set up that talk about all the different service areas and all the different. Um, things that we do at the Water Reclamation District.
5: Right, and uh, are you going to be at that uh, particular roadshow?
6: I will absolutely be there, yes, and I invite you all to come. I look forward to meeting you and your listeners um, if you come out next weekend. It's a wonderful opportunity to see what we have to do instead of going out to a plant or scheduling a tour. Um, it's, a, it's a really interesting way to get to introduce young children and young budding scientists into the world of wastewater and, and the STEM programs that we offer. So, yes, I will be there. I look forward to meeting and greeting as many people as I can and really talking about all the great work that we do.
5: Well, it sounds as though there's been a tr- change in strategy at the MWRD that in the past, as you mentioned, uh, folks, kind, maybe they knew about the organization uh, and and the work that you did, but now it sounds like the MWRD is consciously trying to get out there in the public and say, hey, you need to really understand uh, how this happens and how you can help us. Does Is is that correct?
6: I would agree with that. That's absolutely correct. I think that um, beyond the Water Reclamation District, climate change and environmental issues um, need to, to come to the forefront uh, of all of our lives, and oftentimes, especially with, the, with this new administration, the environmental uh, issues and the climate issues um, are not being taken seriously, so myself and my other commissioners are uh, very interested in making sure that environmental issues, climate is- issues are, are um, spoken about and, and that people understand how what we do and how what everyday citizens do can affect our environment and affect climate change.
5: So when you go out and talk to somebody, you talk to a group, uh, what's the number one thing you tell them that they can do to help mitigate climate change?
6: So the number one thing that we can all do, that which is very easy, is just reduce your water usage. So particularly when there's a storm, if there's a storm um, in your area, you know, try not to do a load of clothes, try not to run your dishwasher, try not to take a very long shower, because when you do that, it overwhelms our sewer system and makes it more difficult for us to keep the water out of the sewers and out of folks' basements. Mm-hmm. That's the number one easy thing to do. Another easy thing we can do is to, to uh, use less single-use plastic products, so less use of straws, less use of plastic bags. Just use more re- reusable, recyclable items that can help with climate change.
5: Because that gets into our waterway. It it in. Yeah, it gets into the That water. gets
6: into our water supply. Yeah. Exactly. And then, uh, then the third thing, which I think is very really easy, is just don't flush your prescription medicine down the toilet.
5: Oh, yes. That's a good one. And that's what MWRD has been doing for some time. We've had Deborah Shore on the show to talk about that. And I think that's one of the greatest initiatives mm-hmm. of the MWRD is getting people to dispose of their pharmaceuticals properly. And you can do that at police stations around Chicago, right? Yes.
6: Uh, different. Um, we actually have take back events. You can also dispose of them at different Walgreens um, stores around the county. Um, we have a, we have boxes at our locations. Because it's because the medicines that are being taken back are regulated, there has to be a sheriff on site to yeah. Yeah. to help monitor the take back of the prescription medicines, but there are ways to do it. And, you and we can... try and make it as possible.
5: And you can do it this Saturday at Von Steuben. Take your medications, electronics, paper for shredding. Uh, Commissioner Kim <laughs> Dubu-Clay, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll see you soon, okay?
6: Thank you for having me.
5: Oh, is that me? That's oh. you. All right. Well, then I, I guess <laughs> I play this music.
1: I'm going to tell you a story.
5: Tell me a big, fat story. I'm tell you about my- all right, welcome back. Story, There's a big fat story. I was going to play that before we had uh, Commissioner Boucle on, but uh, it's dirty water, of course, yeah. and, and of course, Mark Zuckerberg will will bleep us out. Uh, yeah. Actually, YouTube um, last week when we played Frank Zappa, they would they wouldn't let us. They uh, zapped us. They zappa us. But um. But uh, um. Boom. Thank you. Uh, <laughs>
4: <laughs> you oh, you know,
5: you, you know what I do about that.
1: You told a joke. I am not laughing. Perhaps the joke was not funny.
5: Perhaps it was not. But it was. This is not normal. This is that's <laughs> right. And it was and it wasn't funny when they zapped us. I just thought, okay, Frank Zappa's. You know, and it's his, obviously his estate that is saying we have really tight control over this, well, and you're not going to get it.
4: That's like when I got the notice for something from May last week. That Facebook was muting. I'm like that was from May. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys just getting to listening to it now? Yeah, exactly. Well, they're they're kind of backed up. All right, all right. So they're, they're having issues.
5: Yeah. All right. Welcome back to the uh, Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We have our meteorologist on the line, and Rick. I know people are logging in right now because they're just terrified. Uh, about what's going to happen.
4: <laughs> no, say it isn't so, please. Oh my
5: goodness, I am trying to to just uh, get ready. Um, the, the
4: Tribune just said, just sent during the show, three inches of snow overnight. Uh, yeah, yeah,
10: yeah. Matter of fact, almost all of the numerical models kind of ramping up now, uh, the amount of moisture that's kind of getting caught up into the system. And what's amazing about it is, it's actually a little bit warmer on the front side, so we're probably going to get less um, lake effect snow. But obviously, when you have a little bit more warmth, you can have a little bit more moisture, and it looks like it may actually uh, last a little bit longer as well. It's kind of interesting. The overall core of the coldest there. now looks like it's going to slide just a little bit further north and east. So while we're still going to get cold uh, Monday afternoon and into Tuesday it actually kind of slides off to these pretty quickly. So we're going to rebound from this cold weather uh, a little bit faster than what we initially thought. So when you look at the macro scale, um, we're going to be cold, we're going to get snow. And then when you look at the mesoscale, scale, you begin to say, okay, when does it start? When does it end? How much we're going to get? And then when you look at the micro scale, you try to figure out whether or not um, any part of the flow off of a very warm Lake Michigan Uh, is going to enhance the snowfall. So when you look at snow events and cold events, you have to be able to break it down into those three components because not only does that help you from a standpoint of focusing amounts but also uh, time as well. So whenever you have things like this kind of coming together all at once, it never really helps anybody three or four days out to go nuts with it. Just kind of walk your way into it and then kind of walk your way out. But it does look like, well, Probably without a doubt, get several inches of snow. That's paid and polluted to so almost three inches, uh, and then probably record cold during the day on Tuesday. But the record's going to stay for Monday.
5: Oh, you, so we're not we're not going to break the record. You say we might on Tuesday though.
10: Yeah, and the reason why we won't break it on Monday is because Monday technically starts at twelve oh one tonight. Uh. So we'll easily still be like thirty three degrees for uh, a temperature at, at midnight. But by tomorrow afternoon, between, like, say, 3 and about 6 o'clock, you're going to forget about that 33 degrees, that 1201, and it's going to be 25. You're going to say, screw the record. It's cold out there. <laughs> <laughs>
4: and, and then is it going to warm up, or do we actually have to go find our snow shovels this time?
10: Um, well, you'll find the snow shovel. It's probably not far from where you left it from last
5: week, right? <laughs> right? So no, I didn't use one last week. I did. I did because I was I was terrified that trick or treaters were going to do a header off of my porch, and so I shoveled oh, God, and
8: man.
5: I yeah, and I iced. I mean, I, because you know what happens: the kids come up, they mm-hmm. run up really fast. That's not the bad part. When they run down fast, I was just afraid a lawsuit was yeah, going mean, to happen. and Your front
4: stairs are really slick.
5: Yeah, which is a,
4: with rain because they're wood. They're
5: wood, yeah. and they and they do get slippery. I have to talk to yeah. Ron, Ron Cowgill yeah. about that, but. Uh, so I shoveled, <laughs> So, but but are we going to have shovelable snow? I guess that's the... the oh, main...
10: yeah. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. So yeah. um, yesterday, it looked like we were probably in for about maybe a quarter inch of moisture with a lot of that probably melting on contact and then getting about four to six hours of some lake effects. Now, now it looks like we're probably up to about uh, a half to maybe six-tenths of an inch of moisture Uh, Some of that's probably going to melt on contact. And then we'll still get the same amount of lake effect snow, but it doesn't appear to be as uh, significant of it. So I think a couple of days ago I sent my snow, guys, and you guys as well, like maybe like an inch and a half to two and a half inches. Now it looks like a two and a half to probably three and a half with maybe four right along the lakefront. That will begin about midnight tonight. uh, And it's going to be a pretty lousy and challenging commute on Monday, the only good thing is that it's obviously a Veterans Day, so a holiday mm, for not, some, not many. It's one of those kind of quiet holidays. Right. Um, and then the snow winds end is over by Monday morning or Monday afternoon. Uh, and then Tuesday, mid teens for a low and probably only low 20s for a high. The coldest high ever was 28. So we'll definitely break down on Tuesday. After that, it warms up into the low to mid-30s. So it will moderate by the middle to end of the weekend. That might be it for the real extreme cold. It definitely looks
5: like the pattern kind of eases a little bit. Ah, so because Peggy was saying, I uh, mm-hmm. we had a question earlier about somebody saying, uh, I need to get my lawn mowed short because that's what you do at the end of the season. <laughs> no, seriously, you, you mow it short. No, the, I know. The very last uh, mow of the season, and I was just terrified we were going to be locked into winter after, you know, Tuesday. But now you're saying <laughs> that might mitigate. So you could probably do it next week after things warm up if it dries out a little bit, right?
10: yeah I, I I think we can easily be you know back up close to forty degrees by the end of the week and it it's really weird guys because this is now I think the third snow that we've had um and there's still leaves on the trees I mean I know yeah, there's a lot yeah, of trees that lost yeah. their leaves, but there's some trees that are actually like still kind of green yep um it's just it's really weird to see that great picture taking um opportunities last week and probably again this week but um it's been kind of a it's been kind of a, a, a kick in the pants, you know. People say I didn't feel like we had a fall, and I'm saying I don't even think we had a November. <laughs> we like we like jumped right into December. I mean this is this is December weather. In fact, last week we had a couple of days it was like January, and it'll yeah. feel again like January on Tuesday and and well half of one day and half of Tuesday. So bottom line, people keep saying, why is there such cold air around when you have global warming or climate change? Well, first off, the Pacific Ocean, that warm blob, is, is phenomenally uh, warm. It's literally three to four degrees above normal. It covers an area probably half the size of the United States. And we had record low Arctic sea ice in October into the middle of the month. And that, I think, on the northern part of Alaska really helped whatever jet stream that was moving in that direction move even further north. A couple of strong typhoons came out of to the ocean, pushed into that area, and literally took all the cold over Canada and dumped it south. So we're seeing more and more of these really weird mid-October, early November uh, cold outbreaks. And often, oftentimes they kind of lighten up a little bit and you go just into a typical, you know, cold pattern by the time you get into early December. So I still don't think this is a precursor of things that come for the entire winter.
5: Aha. Uh-huh. But... There, there, it is tied a little bit to, to climate change, is is what you're, you're oh, saying. Oh, yeah.
10: Oh, yeah. 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 Without a doubt, you cannot say that it's not part of climate change. I mean, the climate is definitely changing, and with that becomes much more higher variability. And again, when I'm done with you guys, I'm going to be spending another hour putting together the reports for my snow guys, and it's the fifth one I've already sent out, and I haven't even gotten the contract yet for what they're going to pay me for the season mm-hmm. <laughs> because. Usually that doesn't happen until like the middle yeah. of November, so they've already had five events, and <laughs> I think it's changing a lot of people's business model.
5: Uh We we talked about that. Remember we we had the guy from Niles on, and and we talked about yeah. when the when the client when the crews are changing their schedules. You know, climate change is real, and that's that's part of the deal. And I think that's
10: and, and, I- yeah yeah. And think about this, guys. Think about all the municipalities that are still putting up signs saying, "When are we going to clean the streets with all the leaves?" But yet. They're putting the shovels on their plows, and now they have to plow snow and leaves, which is not a very pleasant thing to do. Especially when the leaves all ice up. (laughs) Right, yeah, exactly, Peg. So even if you're a firm denier of this stuff, you can't argue to the fact that the science is right outside the window there.
5: Alright. Well, you gave us the forecast for the week. It's cold snow, warms up a little bit. That's that's fine with me as long as it gets back to the forties next week. Rick DeMile, thank you so much. We will talk to you again next week.
10: And look for my email,
5: guys. And we'll look for what? Look for my email with my update. Oh, great. Yeah, I'll be reading it. Thanks, dude. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Take care. Bye. I want to thank everybody on the show today. Pat Stone, Dr. Robert Coulson, Dr. Elaine Evans, Commissioner Kim Dubu-Clay, Rick DeMaio. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks, Andrew. Hey, all you vets, thanks for your service. Gabby Road is next. Until next time, go green or go home.
2: Uh, Is that it? Yes, it's
1: over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.